Welcome back to another episode of the Cloak and Dagger podcast. I am your host, Will Davis Coleman, and I am joined as ever by my co-host, Patrick Courtney. Hey, man. Hey, what's going on? Not bad, thanks. Not bad. All, all, all ready to go for another yeah. episode, season two, episode two, which sounds season two, amazing. Episode two. We're now, we're now. I was going to say we're well into season two, which we kind of are because we're about to finish a third of the way in. It's just because the seasons are short, so it is. Kind of... Yeah, but I think it's quite weird, like this time round compared to the first time. Like, um, this feels more natural now. It feels like we're just. It feels more run of the mill now, unlike this time yeah, last season. Yeah, it I kind of know. feels like yeah, we know what we're doing. We're also doing it at slightly accelerated pace. It took us <laughs> many months to put together the first series, whereas this one has come on like hot on the heels of the first series. So it feel yeah. and we feel like we know what we're doing, at least you know, to, to some extent. Actually, for the listeners out there, for a little bit of a behind the scenes, the Wednesday that our last episode aired um, was the day when I started research for this episode, and we started recording the first episode on the Sunday of that week. So it's literally just coming through just after we've finished hot off the hot off the presses yeah so if you know you have the most up-to-date story to tell there's no new pieces of evidence wouldn't that be really annoying though because there's a bit of a gap between us recording and it being released if like something happened like a new discovery that invalidated our entire podcast episode (laughs) yeah we'd have to like go we'd have to go back and record a bit to say by the way we mentioned that this person was killed. Turns out they didn't die. They they survived for many years. The the our evidence was wrong. New evidence has come to light. Yeah. That's history for you. Um brilliant. Well, let's get started then. Um okay, so this week uh I am going to take us back to ancient Egypt. Uh, now the thing about ancient Egypt is it's like it's not People kind of think ancient Egypt is sort of like maybe a thousand years of history. No, 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 no. It, it's it goes really back old. so far. So you've got three different areas of or dynasties or eras, if you like, of mm. the uh, of ancient Egypt. So the oldest kingdom is, funny enough, called the Old Kingdom, and that started in about two thousand seven hundred BCE. That's is, pretty old. That's pretty uh, damn old. That is so old. I can't think of... I, this has to be the oldest part of history that you can study with before going... I mean, this is Bronze Age. It's one of the oldest... Yeah, one of the oldest civilizations. Like, you're going back to where most of the world doesn't have civilization. It's only really uh, in the kind of sort of Middle East, uh, Mediterranean area where you start having... Was it the cradle of civilization, that whole area? Okay. And Egypt is yeah, kind yeah, of a yeah. part of that. Yeah. So basically, you had the Old Kingdom, which goes from 2700 BCE to 2200 BCE. Uh, Then you had the Middle Kingdom, which is another chunk of time. And then you have the New Kingdom. And the New Kingdom sounds like, okay, yeah, new. (laughs) You'd imagine that's not the right word. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Started 1550 BCE and finished 1100 BCE. You know, I mean, even at that point, you know, the Romans are nowhere in sight. The Greeks nope. aren't really in sight either. I mean, I'm thinking nope. about Athens was 500 BC. I, I yeah, probably got yeah. that wrong. So it's so old. It's ridiculous. Um, it's, so, it's so old. I mean, it, it, it's certainly the oldest we've ever looked uh, at for anything, I think. I can't I think, think of any. So. Close, I'm, I'm trying to think of any closer looks where we sometimes push the bat a bit more. But because the oldest I think we'd done as a main bit was the Vishakanya, who yeah. were 300 BC, which I thought was that pretty was old. It. I think that's the oldest we've gone, which is, you know, nearly two and a half thousand years ago, whereas we're now looking at, what, 4,000, 3,000 years ago? Yeah, yeah. So today's story um, is in the New Kingdom, so that the most recent of the three old old times. But then there's also, because there's also, you know, a lot of people know about Egypt history, uh, uh, sort of the, the, the Ptolemies, the Cleopatra era, which is, of course, so far in the future compared to where we're looking at. It's that thing where Cleopatra is closer to us than she is to the building of the pyramids. Yeah. Like, this is a time that was ancient to the Romans and, and, and the Cleopatras. Yeah, absolutely. This predates, this predates Troy. You know, this is not, this is so old. It's ridiculous. Anyway, enough about how old it is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> We're so just today... so amazed about how old it is. <laughs> yeah. So today's um, main protagonist is actually one of the pharaohs. 
uh, which isn't that surprising because um, in terms of sources, if you're going to find anyone uh, that far long ago, it's going to be someone who's royal because yeah, who writes yeah. about normal people back then. Um, so this guy was called Ramses, well, Pharaoh Ramses III. And he okay. was considered to be the last sort of awesome pharaoh of the new kingdom so after the new kingdom you have this really shit time for egypt where there's sort of civil wars and there's famines and there's plagues and you have this like they call it the intercene period and then after that come the ptolemies and they're like the greek people the greek guys so basically for the next 700 years after this it's not great for them so this is like the last hurrah of ancient i know you hate this term but because you think it's totally incorrect, although everyone uses it, oh. but it's kind of like a Dark Ages, isn't it? Because when you really think about it, it's like it's kind of like the Dark Ages before Dark Ages, because it's this ancient world, and then everything falls apart for a while, and then there's the resurgence, where I imagine, I mean, I don't know, but I imagine the Ptolemies, you know, this was a time where they were rediscovering their old greatness of the, of the ancient <laughs> yeah, world. I'll accept it this time. <laughs> okay. uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, so this guy was known for he was actually a really cool guy from what I've read. I mean, obviously the people writing it are probably oh, in his cool corner because, but yeah, like cool. he's, do you he's mean a great guy. do you mean cool like he was very chill, like he was always sitting back, reclining on his throne, you know, a cool dude. <laughs> he was anything. He was anything but chill. He got around. He moved. Oh, okay. He moved a lot. He was known <laughs> as the warrior. He was known as the warrior pharaoh. Um, and he reigned right. uh, for a really long time for back then, 31 years, uh, from, 11 wow. eight, uh, from 1186 BCE to 1159 BCE. That's bloody long, especially given, I imagine, life expectancy is pretty short back then. So that's a good chunk of someone's, uh, uh, someone who's living a long time. That is a good chunk of their life. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. So, yeah, so uh, he was known as the warrior pharaoh. And early on in his his reign he came across uh what were known as the sea peoples now the sea peoples if anyone's ever studied ancient history or even just history itself they are like if if we're going to use the dark ages analogy and the fall of rome right they're like okay. the huns these are the huns of the bronze age empires right. so basically all the bronze age empires across the mediterranean all go tits up in around this period right Okay. And no one knows why, really. Well, we do. It's partly because of these sea peoples, literally SEA peoples. So this is where the beginnings of the Atlantis theories come in. So yeah, so people we, first do we not know thinking, where these people came from? They came from they the possibly... sea. They, they came, came from the sea. That's the thing. So the people writing it didn't know. <laughs> so they could be Atlanteans. They could be underwater I, folk <laughs> who it, destroyed these old civilizations. Yeah, but the funny thing is that um, these sea peoples were were written down by Herodotus, who's one of the first ever historians, as being like the sort of harbingers of destruction and the end of civilization. These were the first Huns, you know. Um, wow. But so what's they, interesting? But, but, but there's no, no, and no, there's no evidence of where where they came from, who they are. Are well, they referred to theories. sea people in lots of other uh, like civilizations? It's not just the Egyptians who were like these are sea people. They well, the Egyptians. Annoyingly, the Egyptian stuff all got burnt up in the Alexandrian Library, or lots oh, of it did great. when it, when that was uh, burnt up. But uh, it would have been copied by various people. So, it, I mean, there wasn't a particularly large literary sect around this time. <laughs> but you know, it, they were known because they were destroying everyone. They destroyed everyone. So basically, they land on Egyptian shores in the eighth year of his reign. Right. right. Of, of Ramses III's reign and they come up the Nile and they want to lay waste to it like they've laid waste to quite a few other empires in this part of the world um and he then spends eight years now obviously they arrived in the eighth year of his reign and eight years he spent killing them it sounds a little bit hypocritical and of course I'm just gonna put it out there with sources this stuff could be made up could be mixed you know, up as especially well with dates I mean, think like the Bible, 40 days and 40 nights. Right, yeah, of course. It just so happens to come up all the fucking time. But it's the same thing. Like, time measurement is one of the things which is notoriously Eight. bad. I mean, even up to the 18th and 19th centuries, people didn't know what their fucking birthday was or how old they were most of the time. Really? So it's not surprising. Yeah, yeah. My God, as a gen- from a genealogy perspective, 
every single time you get a new census for the same person 10 years later they've knocked off a few years or they've added a few years <laughs> more than they should have because they don't know they're like oh, i'm wow. probably about 50 now <laughs> that's so weird Anyway, um, so basically he spent eight years fighting these guys. So it was a really long war. And um, there was one time, there was something written down about this, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but they came up the Nile. And what Ramses had done with his generals and things was built platforms along the sides of the river Nile. And he put thousands of archers either side. And then um, he had a, a hidden sea wall or river wall which he then so they came up the rivers because they're sea peoples imagine they're pretty good at sailing and mm-hmm. they lifted up these sea walls um which kind of they were like spikes and they basically just butchered them and wow. it was really really bad and that was like that was the last like defeat of the sea peoples and yeah so he was very very famous for this and after beating them he made them his subjects because that's what you did back then and he settled them in Canaan, right? Okay. In like the Middle East. So he's so obviously Egypt borders the Palestinian and Israeli heartland, right? Yeah. And now, as far as I'm aware, it was Canaan, under Egyptian rule. Canaan isn't underwater, so the chances of them being, you know, Atlanteans and underwater people probably less likely now. <laughs> well, they might have been amphibious. Who knows? Yeah, I suppose if they can breathe, and also after you know generations of interbreeding, they they just they just meld with the, <laughs> the local populace. I mean, you can't call them sea oh. people, and I guess the sea people, you know, that's not a historian's term. That's what they. Well, I guess it's original historians' terms, but it's so weird yeah. that they call them sea people. I know, I know, and the fact that, especially as it's because it because well, if it's is it lots of Mediterranean nations have this recording of sea people because they're all on the other side of the sea to each other there's no island yeah. in the middle that where they were coming from so well there, there was cyprus you could say but like it's it's a tricky one because yeah everyone's coming from the sea depending on who you're talking to so people think yeah. it might have been the phoenicians people say atlanteans some say aliens it's one of those things you know. <laughs> um but just to finish on these guys so they so these vanquished sea peoples are then settled in canaan right mm-hmm. and those people the sea people who have been settled become the philistines of the old testament really wow yeah. they that's set a... up philistia which is in that's what, where philistine people are from mm. so this predates the old testament which i think is so cool oh um, yeah that's really weird this is so, the origin story for the old testament yeah and this is the thing so when you hear about king david fighting the israelites or sorry not not king david fighting the philistines or any israelites fighting the philistines they are fighting the like descendants of the sea peoples so it's kind of cool cool and settled there by an egyptian pharaoh yeah that's so weird god history is strange yeah i mean i guess it's yeah it's all that is very strange that he decides to settle these um these invaders as opposed to just decimating them. Okay, I think it's really clever, though, if you think about it, because South Canaan at the time was on the border with other kingdoms, right? And you've just vanquished a really troublesome bunch who you know will still be trouble. So you put them on your hard border with some some of your rivals, and what are they going to do? They're going to be... That is smart. It's like putting a beehive next to your neighbour who you don't like. It's like perfect... I guess the the sea people also must have been trying to invade to conquer and take over land. So maybe it was a defeat and then almost in the treaty it was like, okay, you've been defeated, but we're not just going to destroy you. You can have this bit of land that I don't want as much and I would like you to control and actually be a bit of a buffer for my enemies. Very um, possibly, yeah. So it's kind of, yeah, so I, I guess that does kind of make sense that actually you use, it's a great, you know, use of an enemy. Yeah. Uh, to turn around and turn it to your advantage. See why this guy's a good pharaoh. He's a clever guy. He is. Well, so the only problem with this is eight years of, of warfare was then followed up by fighting against Bedouin tribes in Libya and also in the sub-Saharan desert. So he's basically fighting all the time. And the problem is that war costs money. So all of these wars led to real financial turmoil in Egypt. And this is part of the, the reason why after... Ramses III dies, which we'll come to, um, the whole thing kind of like a house of cards falls over, right? Right. So, funnily enough, 
it, all of this financial turmoil resulted in the very first recorded labor strike in the 29th year of his reign. Wow. So they literally downed... And do you know who they were? They were the um, sacred burial site builders had had enough. Because wow. they hadn't been they paid unionized. for a long time. Yeah, That's exactly. So cool. And they dropped tools down and went, nope, not happening. Uh, it didn't end very well for them. From what we can tell, they were a lot of them were basically decimated. Um, so, like, yeah, it, it didn't end well that first time. Um, but, yes, but what's interesting was he wasn't very lucky at this point because he's been fighting for a really long time. He's done this great stuff where he's beaten the Sea Peoples and settled them in a good place. He's beaten off the Libyans to his west and to the south. So he's got a kingdom that's ready to flourish now, right? Mm. But apart from the financial turmoil, he is so unlucky because of global climate change. Oh, okay. An Icelandic volcano known as Hekla 3 blew up. Oh my God. And it was shit for, <laughs> well, especially for Ramses, because what it did was it led to a global cool down for 18 years, which meant that grain harvests were consistently less than prior decades or years. Wow. So. If you're thinking about future projections, you're looking at what you got for the past, you know, 50 years and you're like, oh, OK, so we're going to make this much. So they sort of mm. borrow against their grain stores. Yeah. They yeah, yeah. know how much people that they the population is used to having a certain amount of food. And mm. suddenly it's less and less. But it's not just less one year or two years like a famine. 18 consecutive years wow. does shit tons of damage to a, all an from economy. this volcano. All because this volcano went off. Do you know why the, the volcano? How the volcano? I mean, this might be a bit too climate science-y for this podcast, but I assume maybe release of ash and clouds into the atmosphere, so it uh, reflects more of the sunlight, so it cools down the earth. I don't know. Yes, yeah. I'm going to say <laughs> yes to that one. I have no idea. That's I as much know. as I, that's as much as I can imagine. But it's amazing that actually, yeah, in in this time, this ancient era, we're talking about union strikes and difficulties because of Icelandic volcanoes uh, blowing up. Both troubles that we deal with, you know, in modern day times. So, you know, yeah, nothing's changed that exactly. much. So, no, exactly. It's it's fascinating how close we are actually in lots of ways to our very very old ancestors. Mm. Um, not that either of us have Egyptian blood that we know of. Who knows? Anyway, um, so basically, it comes at the worst possible moment because he's in a financial trouble anyway. He's got labor laborers downing tools, and then you get hit with this fucking nightmare of a, a weather pattern, which he has no <laughs> control over. And I imagine probably thought that the gods had something to do with it. Um, yes, obviously. Um, very important. So, thing. but then, so then, what happens is discontent breeds more discontent and he is in trouble in the royal courts so like the sort of entourages because he has a harem and he's got uh courtiers who live at the palaces that he inhabits right um and a conspiracy uh, and that's your favorite word patrick i know yeah um a royal court conspiracy happens in the 11 sorry i keep going at 1159 bce but maybe it should be 1159 bce i don't know <laughs> it's I, weird I to decide. say yeah to use 11 like that's normally we reserve that to more modern dates but actually to ce yeah, yeah. so yeah, I mean, yeah. i'll say it no i'll just don't say it so um yeah so this conspiracy begins in 1159 bce and fortunately and i don't know how these were preserved but we have the original papyrus trial transcripts <gasps> dated no from the time this isn't this is contemporary to wow. that period of time that's awesome uh, so yeah but you have so like cool quotes from it, and we actually can like read what they were talking about yeah exactly so anyway there was a plot against his life against the pharaoh so the pharaoh mm -hmm. himself so ramses has become unpopular can I ask, because a pharaoh, like, because a pharaoh, it's not, because they're, they're more than a king. Aren't they kind of seen as gods? Like, they're kind of yeah. a god king, but they're still, you know, can come under. I mean, I guess, you know, no matter what type of leader you are, the, the people around you, the high up people around you, your nobility, your noble class, always have it within them to get rid of you or to challenge you. You know, there's no, it's very rare to have a ruler who is truly considered untouchable as a god is i think 
Yeah, absolutely. You've, yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, but the thing is that it, they're not trying to sort of uh, usurp him. They're kind okay. of sending him to be with his ancestors because they the afterlife was a very important part of oh, the Egyptian see. makeup in their head. You know what I mean? So like, so <laughs> yeah. and also because also they have he has sons who can take over from him who are also gods. It's like yes. okay, off you go, yeah, yeah. go be with Osiris, go be with Anubis, and yeah, we'll let yeah, yeah, yeah. Fred it's here not take a, over. It, yeah, it's not a popular uprising to replace with a democratic republic as we saw in France or in Sweden. You know, it's they're not there yet. They're still replacing oh, them. No, with, yeah. Replacing one god king, killing him with so another. he can ascend to heaven and replacing him with uh, another god king. So it's right, you know, yeah. it's not quite the same. So he had three wives, Ramsay III, and one of, of his course. three wives was called Ty, right? And mm-hmm. I'm not going to tell you, the third wife you never really hear about, but there's Ty and there's Ty T which is really annoying. That's got to get confusing. I know. So, yeah. <laughs> that, that's got to be an oversight. I mean, he's, he's, he's messed up there. I mean, he's going to get in trouble. I mean, may, I don't know how much a, the, a pharaoh god king can get in trouble for accidentally calling one of his wives by the other name, but it just seems like a, a, a mistake waiting to happen. Yeah, exactly. Well, Ramses, uh, at this point, had been ruling for 30 years. So he knew that he wasn't necessarily a young man at this point. So he'd already made his will. And in his will, he has written that his successor will be his son by Tighty. And his son by Tighty is called Ramses. And he right. does become eventually Ramses the Fourth, right? Right, okay. But the problem is that Ty, his other wife, mm-hmm. isn't happy with this. No. She wants her son Pentawerat to take over the f- after Ramses the Third dies. I mean, that's not a pharaoh name. <laughs> Pentawerat. I mean, one of them's called Ramses, and one of them's called Pentawerat. Like, like she should have known from from the birth when when the pharaoh named his son that that, that he's not going to be in line to become pharaoh. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so Queen Ty and her son Pentawerat are the two main conspirators, and right. so. They're trying to plot to get rid of Ramses III and put Pentawerat on the throne, right? And okay. other other conspirators included uh, Ramses' chief of the chamber. So that's like someone who sleeps in the same room as the king. Sorry, as the pharaoh. Um, Pebek, his, sorry, his name was Pebekamen. Um, seven royal butlers, two treasury overseers, two army standard bearers, two royal scribes, and a herald. These are all conspirators. Yeah. Wow. So a so, lot of people. Like, you've got the army there. You've got the guy who's going to shout about it. You've got royal scribes who can write about it. You've got the treasury that can help take command of the treasury. They've got like a, their own kind of government, their own like uh, yeah. power base that are ready to replace uh, if the coup succeeds. And so yeah. all these people would have been, you know... Uh, annoyed by at the pharaoh for various different reasons or are they just all loyalists to Ty? who knows i have no idea but um they probably would have been a mixture of uh, people who might have lost out because of the grain harvest going bad mm. or because of the war going well but then obviously it cost loads of money and manpower or they were yeah. just looking to be in the new government you know it you get this transfer of power, then you want to be in Pentawerit's court, you know? Yeah, yeah. They may have just been excluded from the sort of inner circle and actually they see this as an opportunity to socially advance and actually become part in. of the inner circle of the new government. I mean, it's, yeah, that is... that. It, I mean, it, it's weird how many parallels we can draw from this to uh, the, the story of Gustav from last season, which is three and a half thousand years later and yet it's still the <laughs> same kind of thing it's these people at the top just conspiring against each other for the same reasons looking to replace each other i mean you know in that case it was more replacing for a republic and a bit more of a democracy but it's still all the same tactics and it's still all the same kind of uh, court politics and drama and intrigue yeah around. Absolutely. Now, um, we don't know quite what the plan was. That doesn't get written down in the trial transcripts. But the fact that there are trial transcripts should tell you that it was a failure. Otherwise, there wouldn't yeah. have been a trial. Um, now, all of the main conspirators were executed. Some of the condemned were given the option of committing suicide, possibly by poison, rather than being put to death. But um, okay. we know for a fact, well, according to these transcripts, that 38 people were sentenced to death. Um, right. And... 
a little bit like you know when you, we spoke about the Patsy in the last episode of season one and how mm-hmm. it went so fucking wrong for them that their actual that they were like erased from Florence's yeah their history. their name was destroyed it it goes further than just their lives it's their it, it's their legend it's who they are is erased yeah well this is what happens to Queen Ty and her son Pentawerit so they are put in tombs after they've been killed executed. Um, yeah. uh, but then they were they were vo- like almost commanded to be robbed, and their names were then erased to prevent them wow. from enjoying an afterlife. Oh, that's that's and, some really heavy stuff for Egyptians, yeah. And to make it even worse, the only only mention we have of either that Queen Ty or her son Pentawerit comes from these court transcripts. Wow! So, so did that's they so wiped amazing. Them out. So it's proof yeah. that it's that that it worked that they really were erased from history. Yeah, there's oh, the only wow. the, we only know these two from the, and of course we don't know how much. I mean, I presume they were <laughs> complicit in this, but mm. obviously it's written by the people who survived. So I don't know how bad, you know, we don't know. It makes it out that like uh, the pharaoh was really bad or really good, and Pentawerit was really. <laughs> Bad, but actually, do we know how old Pentawerk was? Was he a child that was being like maneuvered by his mother, or could he have been older? I, I well, from the research I did, it looks like he was like 16, 17 years old. Okay, so he was. <laughs> I mean, who knows if he knew his own age because clearly they don't, people don't remember <laughs> their age, but he may have yeah. been the one kind of pushing for this. He saw it as a, as a chance to take over. It wasn't. Uh, the case of a you know a, a mother putting an infant son on the on the throne so she could be regent or take over you know it's it yeah. is a bit more of a standard coup um, yeah. of a, a younger but it's interesting yeah, it's, he's he is rebelling against his dad like it's yeah not, exactly it, it, but you it, know it's not, it's teenage not rebellion that's something that we can all relate to pretty heavy <laughs> pretty heavy stuff to try and to try and kill off your dad so you could become a god oh I yeah. suppose you already are a bit of a god but yeah and already then the are, punishment. Anyway. I mean that is really bad. I mean, with the ancient Egyptians, the afterlife was so important, and to have—I guess it's that ultimate threat. Actually, you know, the, the, to a lot of people back then, just death wasn't punishment enough, but actually, uh, a denial of the afterlife, yeah, um, is 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 so dramatic. Because also, because such a because such a huge part, I'm fairly sure it's such a huge part about. Um, Egyptian culture and the afterlife, and the reason they build such, like pyramids and all such uh, such grand um, monuments to themselves after they die is that you kind of live on so long as people remember you. And so yeah. the you know the pharaohs build huge monuments to themselves so they would not be forgotten. And the idea and being forgotten was your kind of second death. That's your yeah. sort of true death when you're forgotten to time. Um, and it's that's like that film. Uh, it's like that Disney film Coco, if you've seen it. <laughs> yes, it is just like the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah where the last. But then, weirdly, because of these, you know, they wanted to erase them from history. But unfortunately, because they wrote down trial proceedings, yeah. like the fact that we're talking about them now means. I mean, that third wife who didn't do anything, and you said at the beginning we don't talk about her. Technically, she's had a worse <laughs> because she was forgotten it's to like... time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I don't know. Now, um, so some of the accused were harem concubines from the from um, Ramsey's court, and okay. they, uh, not hilariously, but they they tried to seduce the members of the judiciary because they had a judge panel basically. Um, yeah. Uh, but they were caught in the act, and so the judges who were involved were also severely punished and were sent into slavery. Wow. So, like, there's this anti-corruption scandal going on at the yeah. same time. <laughs> so, I could profit. I could just imagine like a ancient Egyptian AC12, like right around yeah, trying yeah. to work out which concubine has seduced which judge. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm also. I, I'm imagining all this happening in a kind of standard, you know, modern day courtroom. Just them, but they're still wearing like a G- ancient Egyptian attire, but they're sat, you know, the judge is up up on high and then they have like the witness box and the the, the attorneys on either side. Uh, yeah. Um so okay, so let me just sort of take you through this. So once this is so this has been found out, it hasn't worked. Mm-hmm. There's proper retribution going on, right? And then in the same year that this plot was unearthed, um, Ramses the, the third dies in his 32nd year of power before okay. the summaries of the sentences were even composed. So this wow. has happened at the same time. Now, 
up until incredibly recently, they presumed that Ramses had fallen ill and mm. and died of natural causes. I imagine he would be um, fairly but, old at this point. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Thirty second year of his. Years. I mean, especially he could have become, you know, pharaoh at a very young age. But even then, if he became pharaoh at age ten, he's in his forties. Back then, that's pretty old. You could, you know, you're starting yeah. to get a bit frailer. So this is the thing. So um, it was long believed that he just expired, basically, and <laughs> yeah. and maybe like the grief. I read one thing that showed that someone said it could have been from the grief of having his son betray him, and then having to put his son to death was the mm. reason why he then sort of died all of a sudden. But anyway, up until 2011, that was wow. the line. That was the party line. So this is really recent. Well, 10 years ago. But like, seriously, compared to like 2,700 years ago, this is a pretty recent yeah, yeah, discovery. Yeah. Um, so although, so it was believed that he ha- had no, that his body had no obvious wounds on him because he was exhumed by uh well he was found during the height of the uh ancient egyptian tomb tomb discoveries of the late 19th century by british tomb discoveries british or disturbers tomb, you referring to the tomb robberies where we, <laughs> where no, we uh, yeah no absolutely yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah tomb robberies as well i'm not i'm not i'm not condoning the action but you know the egyptians <laughs> have been doing it ever since as well and probably before so it's That's like true. humans should just be leave the dead in where they belong you know bloody archaeologists anyway um so <laughs> yeah so in 2011 for uh, the science channel uh, a german forensic team decided to give the body of ramses the third a ct scan okay because they were like well let's try and see you know maybe we can see that he had you know some sort of malady in his bone structure or you know mm. some they were mm. looking for anything to spin a story onto right yeah. And this documentary that came out was known was called Ramsey's Mummy King Mystery. Um and they noticed that the mummy's head had excessive amounts of uh fabric around the neck area. Now of course, oh. when that it was first discovered, that wasn't necessarily that unusual because uh, most mummies are wrapped all the way up anyway. Um yeah. But of course, because the fabric was so delicate, you couldn't exactly unwrap it to look at the. You neck. couldn't see how deep you know it where went. This is going. <laughs> yeah, I can. Own, I can I'm this... starting to see. Yeah. So, um, so, so this CT scan was done in Egypt by a couple of people called Ashraf Salim and Sahar Salim, no relation. Okay. Uh, who were professors of radiology at uh, Cairo University. And it, they revealed that beneath the bandages was a deep knife wound across the throat, which was deep enough to reach the vertebrae. Oh, so just that, wow. That's, very that's almost deep. beheading that's a, someone. Yeah, exactly. Jeez. It's almost decapitation. Um, so this obviously shows that, uh, that this is uh, that he was murdered, you know, because there's yeah. no, there are no other marks on him. So he was mm. probably because there were no other marks on him except for one thing, which I'll come to in a second. Um, for for the first time in so 2011, he dies in 1159 BCE. So that's a thousand. So you're talking like three thousand years after the event. Um, this is they yeah. This is the he's murdered. Longest uh, <laughs> detective case ever. Must be yeah. Three thousand year old yeah. uh, murder case solved. Wow. Well, I guess not really solved because they don't know who did it. No, well, this is the thing. Maybe the conspirators failed and then succeeded, you know, just like a few months later. You know, because he didn't hear he dies Mm. because they do note down when he dies. He dies before the trial wraps up. So it's still happening. You know, they're still probably trying Mm. to catch a few of them. And he, what he's, and the reason why it's fascinating, I think, is because clearly the royal courtiers who were on the side of Ramses III, not the the conspirators, wanted to hide the way he died. Yes. Because for for royal continuity, like, as I said, they're coming to the end of the New Kingdom era. So everything's about Mm. to go tits up, think fall of Rome. You don't want this very popular, very warlike king to have been murdered just at the point mm. where things are starting to go really, really shaky, and you need a stable 
top government. It might strengthen the position of the conspirators and of Ty and her son because they kind of, even though they are, you know, in being imprisoned. I don't. Do we know if they they wouldn't have? They would still be alive at this point because the just about. Yeah, I mean, just about. Yeah. So if it had gotten out that actually they had succeeded in their task, perhaps people would have, you know, there could have been chaos and actually it would have given them the chance to take over. But if he dies of natural causes, yeah, people, exactly. and then they put out the story, oh, he died because of the tragedy of son. He's beloved. He dies a martyr. People don't think this is a strike against them. And his son can take over pretty seamlessly. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, this CT scan also revealed something kind of weird, right? Okay. Uh, he did. Ha- they did find one other blemish on the on the pharaoh's body, and that was the mystery of the missing toe. So, right. Basically, it showed that the left big toe was chopped off by a heavy, sharp object like an axe at the same time of as when he was killed, because there were no signs of bone healing. So this injury must have happened shortly before death. Which right points to and this isn't my theory this comes from the from the actual people who who discovered this their theory was that he was attacked by more than one person and that he was probably lying down because you can't imagine how anyone's going to chop off someone's toe from full height yeah did they was he maybe was he maybe lying the wrong way up in his bed they took a swing at what they thought was his head, <laughs> chopped off a toe, went, oh shit, no, his head's up there, ran over and then just slashed his throat. I, oh. I don't know, but basically it shows that there was a struggle of some description because why you wouldn't chop off... They would be able to tell if the, the toe was chopped off after death. Would have do we known. know what... Do they have? Are they, are, are, is the assumption that the wound to his neck was by a knife? Could that also not have been by the same... They, you know, say, it's you, if it, it, they say it's a knife. Not a interesting. I wonder. I wonder because I imagine there is a lot because you could learn so much about like a wound tells you so much about what caused it. So I imagine if they say it's a knife, it probably was a knife because you can see from the angle and from the cutting marks. Like there's a lot of stuff that goes into uh, sort of forensic detection of how someone died because you can really investigate a wound. Yeah, so it's interesting but that. You know, yeah, it sounds like he was attacked and like someone swung, missed, uh, hit his foot, someone else jumped up behind him and then slashed his throat. Like, they could have been, he could have fought them off, he could have killed others, and actually, we don't know. Well, no, but the thing is, there's no other signs of harm in the CT scan, right? So, yeah, yeah, so those are, the also, two, those are the only two injuries. Yeah, they're the only two injuries, and um, it probably points to the fact that the assailants were interrupted, because mm. otherwise they would have done more damage to the body, because by damaging the body it is more likely to get out because the thing is they have to embalm the body, right? So yeah. it has to be seen to be immaculate. So what do the embalmers do? They make a prosthesis of a big toe so that when it gets looked at by anyone, they don't go, why is he missing a toe? So, so that's underneath really is just and a they... fake toe. Yeah, and what they did was uh, they also placed six different amulets around both feet and ankles for magical healing of the wound for the afterlife. So that when he gets there, the the prosthesis, theoretically, uh, would b- magically become his real toe that he lost. Were there, were there magical healing amulets around his neck? Because I feel like that should be their focus. I mean, if he's going to the afterlife, <laughs> his toe's healed, but his head's flopping all around. It's like um, nearly, uh, headless, nearly neck. headless neck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. Um, yeah. It's a funny thing. But um, what's also interesting is there was a snake bite theory. So some believe that a okay. snake bite was the cause of the king's death before they found this severed head. Almost, oh, I see, right? because he died uh, of supposedly an illness, well, which could have been the snake. Well, yeah. no, because, yeah, and on his mummy, some of the, uh, there was an amulet included which protected Ramses in the afterlife from snakes. And also, um, the servant in charge of his food and drink was also on the list of conspirators. But there were also oh. other conspirators who were called the snake and the lord of snakes. So there's these. There's a lot of. There's uh, so maybe of the things protection that, from a snake was actually protection from this guy who was called a snake. Like these maybe guys. it was like yeah yeah yeah. So there, there were lots of. They, they don't point to a sort of snake bite theory at all. But like, there's too many mentions of snakes, including this amulet, which stops you from getting poisoned in the afterlife, for it to not be part of the theory somehow. Yeah. So it's just really yeah. interesting. But anyway, um, now listen, the final twist in this tale to finish okay. on for this is that when they, when the tomb robbers slash 
finders, archaeologists, whatever you want to call them, found Ramses III's tomb, mm-hmm. there was another man buried in the tomb with in the, the pharaoh. Tomb, yeah, not in the in the large like tomb, not, not in the, the coffin. Like, sarcophagus. No, right, right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, yeah, in the tomb and. DNA, there was a DNA study done and it showed that the body had 50% DNA share with Ramses. So really? this, So the theory is that this is the body of the treacherous son, Pentaweret. Wow. And that possibly he murdered, he was obviously murdered and put in the tomb with the father he had betrayed. Or maybe he wanted forgiveness in the afterlife, some sort, or maybe he was meant to be like his slave in the afterlife. Maybe, well, um, maybe, maybe the because I mean the the story that the the king. I mean, I know it ended up. It looks like he's been murdered, but the story that he was he died because he was sad that he killed his son. Maybe he did. Lo- he loved his son, and despite the fact that his son rebelled against him, he wanted it to be. He wanted him to be buried close, so that in the afterlife, maybe they could reconcile. But, but Ramses the Third wouldn't have made that decision because he was the one who died first. Oh, oh, because yeah. Think so about it would it. have been the it would yeah. have been the brother, the stepbrother. The half brother. Yeah. Half brother. Half brother. It would have been the half brother who decided that. That's really interesting, isn't it? I wonder. Although I wonder whether or not it may have been last wishes because the, the you know Ramses the Third knew that his son was going to be put to death. So maybe he said, "I want him to be buried next to me." No, Ramses the Third wouldn't have known he was going to be put to death. The whole point no. is the trial's ongoing when, oh, when he gets uh, killed. Well, I mean, I guess you could. I mean, he the, the he tried to kill the pharaoh, and later possibly did kill the pharaoh. But I feel like the, the Ramses III could have would have known there's a very high chance, or could have like, yeah, maybe you're right. I don't know. Oh, he, I'm you just think he, oh, you think he might have um, suspected, and and wanted just in case, like in the future, just in case this happened. It's not like yeah. if you betray me, I want you buried with me anyway kind of thing yeah maybe i see that yeah yeah yeah. and oh yeah and it might be just that you know he he wants to he wants despite his family rebelling against him and and, you know conspiring to kill him he wants his son buried close because he's he's, he might still be a family man you know yeah family but 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 he wouldn't know dude he'd be dead before they the conspiracy happened because the conspiracy had killed ramses the third so he can't have but there's the failed conspiracy no but it is the same conspiracy that's the point because he he's dead before the trial happens, like he doesn't hear the end of the trial. Yeah, I guess I was just thinking that if because he might, but if you know the trial might not be over, but he might be aware oh. that his his son is going to probably be killed as a result of the trial, and when his son is killed, I want him buried oh, next see. to me. Yeah, because no, you know no, no, he tried to, his son tried to kill him. There's really only one outcome for that. I mean, maybe the trial was more to determine how destructive the death should be, as yeah. opposed to whether or not they should kill. Because I think if you try and kill a king, a pharaoh, an emperor, you're going to die. There's no. I don't think there's any case. That's not going to. Yeah, I, I doubt yeah, banishment yeah. is on the table. I yeah, think, it's uh... all, you're all. It's always going to be death. So he may have gone. I know my son is going to be killed. But and you know because he would have been assumed, presumably heavily involved in the trial and the and and the preside, presiding over it and you know so he may have said you know he's going to die him and his mother are going to die but I want my son to be uh, buried although I suppose he would then because he doesn't know where he, when he's going to die <laughs> yeah. I don't know this is all uh, very it's funny so, yeah. I think it's more likely personally that Ramses the fourth his successor after the butchery followed you know after the death of Ramses the third um he would have um put him in there and made him a slave to his father maybe i don't know i don't know mm. um but yeah so yeah, anyway that so from an icelandic volcano and fighting off the infamous <laughs> sea peoples he then is part of a legend himself by getting revealed to have been murdered 3000 years after the fact and that is where i am ending the main part of this episode that is stunningly cool i mean that is yeah 3000 old murder mystery that has been kind of solved we don't know who he did it who specifically did it. we can make a good guess yeah That's so interesting yeah That's so weird so and yeah, yeah and actually in the tradition of you know egyptians uh lasting for longer the more they're remembered uh this this reveal will make him remembered for even longer yeah which is really interesting so yeah that's that's the story so for cool. this this week's uh closer looks we thought we would have a look at other sort of mystery deaths which have sort of been revealed but sort of not 
murder mysteries yeah, murder yeah, mysteries kind of yeah murder mysteries thank you patrick <laughs> that's what i was trying to say um so yeah uh why don't we start with you first patch sure So, uh, for my closer look this week, um, we are jumping back to uh, a time in history that we know a bit better. We're no longer sticking in ancient times. Um, we're looking at sort of 16th century France. Um, so, you know, a few few centuries before revolutionary times, um, which we've looked at previously. But uh, the sort of main focus of my closer look is on um, someone who actually we... It, the the name will sound familiar to listeners um, who listen to our previous season because we are looking at Catherine de Medici, Ooh. who is a part of the Medici family. Um, so she's born in 1519 in Florence, and she's actually the great granddaughter of Lorenzo the Magnificent, who is the Lorenzo who we spoke about in the Patsy conspiracy episode. Of course, wow! Great. Do you say great granddaughter? Great granddaughter, yeah. So 1519, it's about 40 years after the Patsy conspiracy. But yes, yeah, so Catherine de Medici, born in Florence, but she would go on to become queen consort of Henry II of France. So it's quite oh, a meteoric yeah. rise. And it's kind of interesting as well, because the Medicis, although they are really wealthy, they are commoners to a certain extent. They're not royal. They're not no, really... True. They're kind of Italian nobility, but not because of bloodlines, but because of money and because of wealth and because of connections, because actually the person who put this marriage match together was Catherine's cousin, who was the Pope. Oh, so she, so okay. he kind of looked after her. Um, she was orphaned from a young age so and was kind of raised by different people. But he matched her up with the then second son to the King of France. But after the first son, the Dauphin, died, Henry became Henry II of France. So she... That was lucky. Kind of, yeah, quite a big rise to power. And she is quite an interesting character because a lot of um, historians kind of refer to her as the most powerful woman in the 16th century. And she is a contemporary of Elizabeth I. Um, and actually her son, uh, Francis II, actually marries Mary, Queen of Scots. So that's oh, the kind really? of oh, wow. world okay. stage we're looking at. Yeah, so... and But yeah, she is called the mo- one of the most powerful or the most powerful um, women in the 16th century because... While she's queen, she has a certain amount of power, you know, as queen consorts do. But her husband, Henry II, dies in 1559, and she would become the regent for her son, Francis II, and would actually go on and would remain regent for quite a few years because her son, he dies before uh, having an heir, and then his brother takes over, which she continues to be regent, and actually that brother dies as well, all the way to her third son so she's regent for all three of her sons so she's this kind of time in history where she is this ruler of france despite being uh an italian (laughs) member of a banking family so it's a really interesting she's a really interesting character and and very um there's a lot of legend and suspicion around here because the french people weren't huge fans of her you know she's this foreign queen who now rules over us through uh, her son, who's not a you know, who's not old enough to rule for himself. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Catherine Medici was also uh, a Catholic, being from uh, Italy, unsurprisingly, and she was in France, ruling France during um, the French Wars of Religion, which is this sort of prolonged period of civil war within France between the Catholics and the Protestants. All the Protestants were called the Huguenots at this time. Yeah. Um, so there's this real battle of ideologies that's happening, uh, I mean, across Europe at this time. Uh, and you've got Elizabeth I there, who's the Protestant queen um, who came after Mary, um, Bloody Mary. And then, you know, you've got everything. So Protestant and Catholics are at war all over um, Western Europe at this time and is at a height in France. Um, and that's when sort of Catherine Medici is ruling over. And she's Catholic, but actually tries to remain impartial to begin oh, with, okay. trying to promote peace and kind of playing both sides because, you know, she's trying to be this higher figure who's trying to keep her country together. But eventually she becomes a more vehement opponent of the Huguenots. She's Catholic. She's got family who are the main Catholic leaders who are rivaling the Huguenots. And the Huguenots are kind of these protest rebelling force. They're not the establishment. They're the kind of instigators. And although, you know, there's really awful actions on both sides, 
Catherine de' Medici kind of sides with the Catholics, as she always kind of would have. She would never really side with the Huguenots because she's not Protestant. She is a Catholic. Sure. Cool. So she ends up kind of having a bit of a rival. Not quite a rival, but there is another queen, the Queen of Navarre, which at this time is a sort of semi-autonomous kingdom located on the western border between France and Spain. Um, oh, and it's okay. its own little, it's it's kind of its own little kingdom, kind of ruled um, and kind of controlled by at this time. But it's a kind of kingdom centred around the city of Pamplona. Um, okay. So that kind of gives you an idea of where it is. But yeah, on the border um, with France, so is a big influence for the French people. And their queen, who is the queen regent, she's not queen consort, is Jeanne d'Albray. And she is a Protestant and actually is kind of seen as the sort of spiritual, if not even political leader of the French Huguenot movement. Oh, Lord. So even though she's kind of this, she is a a foreigner, but because, you know, Navarre is, you know, kind of within French territory, she is this kind of spiritual leader and a kind of rival to Catherine. Of course, she's like mirroring her in a Protestant light, Huguenot light. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I see where this yeah. is headed. <laughs> you can start to see where this is going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So another thing about this time, another thing about Catherine, is that in Italy at this time, there had been this kind of uh, new wave of fashion that involved perfumed attire. So, you know, perfume was used a lot in Italy anyway, just on the skin. But people were putting um, perfume into items of clothing, which included gloves. And it was a very expensive process that would take a lot of time. And so therefore, you know, was only for the uh, uber wealthy. But they would treat uh, leather gloves with all sorts of uh, herbs and spices or woods or different flowers to give this this lovely aroma, kind of oh. to cover up the smell of all these people who don't bathe that uh, huge amount. Um, <laughs> so you can kind of see why they wanted to do it. So Catherine brought this over to uh, the French court, and so all these high-up French courtiers, you know, the really rich would see it as a kind of show of prestige and a, a show of wealth to have these perfumed gloves. And Catherine actually even brought over her own personal perfumer, a man named uh, René Bianchi. <laughs> So, you know, she's nice. She's she's not only bringing over this fashion trend, she's bringing over the people to do it. And so there's this really like elite uh, item of clothing that, you know, the aristocracy in France would want to wear because this new queen coming over with this kind of cool new fashion um, <laughs> is there. OK. However, Catherine was also and while, you know, she got on well enough with some of the aristocracy in the court, but the people of France didn't like Catherine. They kind of saw her as a bit of a sorceress in the worst case so they really thought she was linked to the occult and there's a few reasons for this one um she was quite highly educated uh, and educated in things like astrology and astronomy which you know medieval times woman being educated definitely a witch problems yeah she didn't make it much better for herself because she also entertained certain interesting people at court including the seer nostradamus Oh, who's awesome. rocking around at this time. Yeah. Um, and Nostradamus is actually supposedly even to have made her a talisman made of a mixture of metals, goat's blood and human blood. So really not helping to add to her <laughs> image as a sorceress or a witch. Yeah, She was also Italian, which the French have at this time have sort of long believed to be a kind of a home place for poisoners and witchcraft and all this kind of evil stuff. Because at this time, you know, with the Renaissance, Italy is a kind of free thinking state, although it is, you know, the centre of uh, Catholicism. There's lots of free thinking ideas there, especially as you Florence. Know, Medici from yeah. Florence. Yeah. So didn't like her for that. And perhaps the most damning piece of evidence, and again, also related to her sex, is that she failed to get pregnant for the first 10 years of her marriage with the This um, poor woman. Henry. This is not fair. She's just she's an intelligent woman who's looking for like yep. curiosities and she likes perfume and suddenly she's a sorceress witch who can't give birth. It's just yep. like, fuck off. It is, it is. She is really done dirty, and I think it's it's really harsh because she seems like quite an amazing woman, especially at this time. I mean, she's wields all this power. You know, she's Catholic and yet is able to kind of see both sides. And she doesn't. She's not hugely successful at you know bringing the country together and pushing for peace. But you know, she's not this sort of puppet of kings and of and of the men around her. She's a real force to be reckoned with, and she's she's. I I to be honest, I quite like her. Although, well, we'll we'll see. I probably, you know, <laughs> when we get to the end of the story, we might like her less. But at least so far, I mean, she's educated in astronomy, which I like. 
also astrology, which I like less, but you know, it's <laughs> it's a start. Back then, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so the so the so the people of France kind of weren't huge fans of her and saw her as this kind of witch, this sorceress, this sort of practitioner of dark arts. There's even rumours that she, um, her and her her son, also called Henry, were the creators, or at least she was the creator of something called the Black Mass, which is this kind of satanic version of the Catholic Mass. I've heard. Um, of the there's Black no Mass, real yeah. evidence of it other than rumours. Uh, and seems probably pretty unlikely. It's just that she's, you know, we're getting into times where witch burnings are are, are really becoming a thing. And she's just a well-educated woman who yeah. couldn't get pregnant. And it's more than likely it could have been the, the fault of the man as well, that the reason she couldn't get pregnant, especially if he's spending most of his time rocking around with other women. Yeah. It's no wonder she never got pregnant. But Catherine de Medici also had a reputation as a poisoner. And this seems to be probably more true. So she was very involved in politics. And actually, her private residence, the Chateau de Blois, supposedly has a room that is kind of assumed to be her private apothecary. It's got all these cabinets Ooh, and small cool. uh, shelves and little areas, supposedly for key... And would be... It looks like the sort of thing you'd keep lots of ingredients, possibly for medicine, but also possibly for poison. So she seems to be kind of... Possibly this might be true. She was a bit of a poisoner or a bit of a, a, a studier. I mean, you know, that's still quite an... That is a science. I mean, yeah, creating poisons, that, that is... That's what a, I was going to say. You could still see yeah. it as a, as an academic pursuit. Yeah, um, yeah. But I bet that I'm telling... This isn't just a story about misogyny. What, what's your proof that she's a poisoner? It's kind of just rumour. That's okay. kind of what it is. There's not a huge amount of direct evidence. I mean, we'll move on to... I mean, that's kind of the point of this story, is that it's yeah. a story involving poison. But it's largely to do with rumour, and it, is, it does seem quite likely that it's it's born out of this mistrust and this belief that she was a witch. But, yeah, it, it, it does seem like history has done a dirty because it's just this well-educated woman is just considered to be... And there's that kind of idea that poison is a woman's weapon. She's a yeah. dislikable character, and therefore people just, you know apply this status to her and just think oh she must be poisoning all her rivals because she's such an evil woman but one of the stories about her supposed poisoning involves this uh, Jeanne d'Albray this kind of rival to her this protestant uh, other queen yeah so during the wars of religion um this is kind of during the third war this big conflict a peace accord a peace treaty is is reached towards the end of it and part of a, an attempt to kind of unite the Catholic and Protestant causes, Catherine decides to offer the hand of her youngest daughter, Margaret, to Jeanne d'Albray's son, uh, Henry, who would go on to become King of Navarre. Henry of Navarre, so, who becomes... Doesn't he become King of France later? Yes, he does. Because he was, he was meant to be gay. He's quite an interesting guy, Henry of Navarre. Anyway, really? sorry. I didn't on. know that. So... There's this arranged marriage, which seems kind of a nice way to reconciliate the country. You know, peace is kind of being restored. Yeah. Um, but obviously, Catherine, with this reputation of uh, and being a poisoner and disliking this rival queen. Um, oh, hang on. Let me don't say that because that's, that's a weird way to put it. Um, so we've got this arranged marriage on the horizon and Jeanne d'Albray uh, decides to take a trip to Paris to kind of prepare for the wedding. This is two months before the proposed wedding. You know, do some bit of shopping, get everything ready, start preparing for gifts and sort of stuff. You know, she's in Paris, she's probably loving life, running around with a bunch of bags. Yeah, uh, that's I what can I've just got see it head. now. It's like sex in the city. but Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Running down the Champs-Élysées. I don't know if that exists yet. Is that no, I don't know, it might do. I don't know how old Jean-Zelite is. Yeah, um, but possibly, running around. But on one of her shopping days, she returns home feeling a bit unwell. And the next day she awakes with a fever and an ache in her upper right-hand side of her body and starts to really deteriorate. And five days later, she dies. The Queen and of Navarre. Is, well, Queen, the Queen of Navarre, yeah. That's rapid. That is a fast-moving... Yeah, okay. Exactly, yeah. And because it happens in France, and because she has this rival, Catherine de Medici, and she is kind of seen as the spiritual leader, or at least political leader, of the Huguenots, and is a target for the Catholics, of which Catherine de Medici is on the side of, Yeah. the rumour starts going around that this was a poisoning by Catherine de Medici. And okay. the method of poisoning was through set of poisoned perfumed gloves because perfume gloves would be a, a you know a gift that is a very likely gift that Catherine would offer to this 
mother of the groom to which she's about to offer her her daughter to. So it seems likely that that would have been a um, would have been a gift that she'd given. Right. And the rapid onset of the illness, many people believe to be an indicator of poison. So, so hang and on, that's so, the delivery method. So, so Catherine de Medici is supposed to have given these gloves to her rival. Is that the idea? Or yes. Is it from... Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, they you know at this time. In technically, they're no longer rivals. They are soon to be uh, family. They're soon to be connected by their, their by their children. Yeah, and they're supposed to be this kind of peace treaty and this peace accord. And and you can tell from uh, what I'm about to mention uh, what happens. You know, a few months later, that this peace was maybe a bit of a sham. Right. Um, and this is why maybe it's easier to believe that this was a poisoning attempt, because so that the so this so the Jean de Albre dies. And the mother of the groom dies, but the wedding still goes ahead. However, five days after the wedding, the Saint Bartholomew Day massacre takes place. Oh God! Which is essentially, yeah, this it is a group of planned assassinations of Huguenot leaders, but it was followed by a massive wave of Catholic mob violence that continued for several weeks and killed between five and thirty thousand French Protestants. So. So, all that peace went out the window. Although the marriage still went ahead, which is really interesting and actually kind of shows this strange political world we're living in, it just seems too close. And that's really where these kind of rumours rumors come idea, from. Yeah, fair. Yeah, yeah. And you can understand why the why the Huguenots would believe uh, that it was Catherine who killed their kind of their leader, their their beloved queen. Yeah. Because, you know, you know, these are enemies and they really see the the, the Catholics as evil. And poison is not above this evil demonic queen. So yeah, so it's fascinating that. Uh, so yeah. yeah, right at that sort of pinnacle of where there's going to be peace and reconciliation, which seems it's going to always happen anyway. She's mm. almost like, right, I'm not going to have a rival, e- even though she wouldn't be a rival. She's like, okay, I'm going to knock knock this one out anyway. Mm. You know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but how but much really... actual is there any sort of evidence that she's re- actually implicated in this? Well, here's the issue: is because there was no there there was there was no hard evidence at the time. It was just a rumor, and you can really and what I'm trying to get into is why you can really see why the rumor was there because you can see it from everyone's point of view that their queen goes to Paris and then dies so quickly of a illness when she's you know supposed to be friendly with this queen who already has a reputation of dark arts and yeah, poisoning. Yeah, yeah. You can see why this rumour came up. And then especially after the St. Bartholomew Day's massacre, where other Huguenot leaders were assassinated, they, they it's easy to jump to the conclusion that this was the first uh, assassination Stab. attempt. You know, this, is, yeah. this was the first attack. Um, however, and this is kind of the reverse. This is actually why I kind of like this, because it's kind of the reverse of the Ramses III story, because <laughs> modern day evidence and modern day historians have kind of, have kind of gone against this theory, and we no longer think it was an assassination or okay. poisoning. Because looking at the evidence, looking at the symptoms, they think that likely it was tuberculosis. Oh, really? Which, is, which makes oh. a lot more sense, and why it was so rapidly onset. And also, I had a look, and other than I guess poison ivy, um, it seems very unlikely there were any poisons at the time that could act through skin because it's a poison glove you know it's not ingested yeah that's true so Good you know a, a poison to work through uh, by absorbing through the skin it's not really that common and other than poison ivy which can be fatal but only if you're allergic which seems both unlikely and a, and a poor use uh, a poor poison to use because you've no idea if someone's it's allergic not, to poison ivy yeah exactly it's not it's a, not reliable no so so yeah okay. so chances are this isn't a true story, and so it's why I, went, I almost didn't include it. But I thought it was a kind of cool counterpoint to the to the Ramsey story. It, it literally it is, is the opposite. It's yeah. like a reverse. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was yeah. assumed to be. It, it's almost like um, Catherine de Medici is uh, vindicated these many years on because it, it looks like it was very unlikely that she poisoned. Oh. Well, still a fascinating story, though. I enjoyed that. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah, cool little mystery. Although is kind of sold. Which is a bit not quite what we were looking for, but still an interesting story anyway. Yeah. And actually, the, I also wanted to uh, bring this up, but this was actually a story that was suggested to me uh, by my old history teacher. When oh, I was talking to her about this podcast. Brilliant. So, yeah. Well, yeah, so, thank you, cool um, Patrick's history teacher, if you're thank listening. Thank you, Alison. Yeah, <laughs> if I got it right. Oh, I'm going to get marked, aren't I? <laughs> you are. Expect a report. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
didn't cite enough sources. <laughs> yes, yeah. Now, Patrick, tell me what's going to be on for next week. So next week, we have quite a special episode. I will be taking us through, I think, probably the most modern uh, assassination, definitely the most modern assassination for the main stories, because we will be looking at the very famous assassination of John F. Kennedy, the American president. Which, Amazing. of course, is... Yeah, that's a story that obviously lots of people know well. And so I won't actually be spending too much time talking us through it because next week, instead of doing a closer look, we have a special segment. We'll be bringing in one of our good friends to talk through some conspiracy theories about the JFK assassination. So looking forward to that, where we will be moving a bit away from history and a bit more into uh, conspiracy theories and some more interesting ideas. Yeah, Um, perfect. Yeah. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening. And please follow us and like this episode wherever you're listening to it. And follow us on Instagram and tell a friend or a family member or a household pet about it. And, uh, yeah, that would be really helpful. (laughs) Have a great week, guys, and see you next week. Cheers, guys. See you later.